Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 659 of the Juicebox Podcast. Hey, everybody, Erica Forsyth is back. Erica, of course, is the licensed marriage and family therapist who's been on the show a whole bunch of times in a ton of different episodes. She also has had type 1 diabetes for well over three decades. And today, she came on, <laughs> this was something, I guess. Uh, she came on to talk about burnout a little bit. And then I, I mean, she talked about it. She said everything she wanted to say. But I completely took the conversation in a direction that was more about, I don't know, my, I guess my fascination with people's minds, how they're built fortitude versus um, struggle, that kind of stuff. I think it's really interesting, but I talked way more than I meant to. There's something about Erica that makes me very comfortable. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. And if you wait till the end of the episode, Eric and I announced some things that we're going to do in the future together. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Omnipod Dash, a tubeless insulin pump that you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of. Learn more at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Today's episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. It's little, it's accurate, it fits in your pocket, and it gives you those numbers, those sweet, sweet numbers. Super, super accurate, sweet, sweet numbers. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Erica, the uh, timing of this recording is um, interesting because not too long ago, I recorded uh, with Jenny about does Jenny burn out? And being 1 million percent honest, I didn't know what Jenny was going to say. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't, like, send Jenny, a, a, you know, an email and say, hey, uh, you ever experienced burnout? We should talk about it on the podcast. I just said, let's talk about burnout. And she said, okay. When she said that she hasn't ever really experienced it, I'm like, okay, well, this is her truth, and let's talk about it. Well, Erica, then I got a number of messages from people who were not thrilled that I didn't talk to somebody who had been through burnout. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was like, well, I've got Erica on the schedule coming up, so let's get to that instead. So, I mean, you understand, you know the podcast. Like, I don't, I'm not setting things up to happen in a certain way. I just, I had the conversation. Jenny, you know, is a specific person, and she's mm -hmm. you know, pretty great at uh, managing herself. And on top of that, is a, um, I don't know, she's an active person. She eats well. Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe her diabetes is just easier to manage for some reason, or maybe it's just specific to her wiring in her brain. Like who knows, y you know? Um, but I do want to talk about the other side of it and I'm excited that you're here. So welcome back. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Excellent. Talk about the burnout. <laughs> so let's just start on a personal level, right? You've had diabetes forever and a half, right? Um, yes. 30 <laughs> plus years. <laughs> exactly. Actually, that's great because so is Jenny. So it's easy for me to remember that you're both over 30 years. Um, yes, I think we're, we're similar in our diagnosis. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Um, so, all right. Have you ever experienced it? And and more more specifically, 
when you hear the word burnout, what does it make you think of? I think, yes. So I will speak to my own experience. Um, but I think with burnout, I think of, it can be either a short period of time or, you know, in really sad and tragic cases, it can be forever. Um, and burnout is, comes from, you're so exhausted, you're so overwhelmed, you're so frustrated and stressed by all of the management of diabetes. And I'm not just talking about the daily blood sugar, you know, checking, whether it's finger pricking CGM or the injections, the, the pump sites, but it's also, you know, the doctor's appointments, the blood draws, the eye appointments. And so you could be burnout could look like, well, maybe you're, you're bolusing, but maybe you're not checking your blood sugar, or maybe, um, you're kind of going through the motions, but you haven't been to the doctor. You haven't had your eye appointment in years. Mm -hmm. You haven't, um, had to get your, you know, your blood drawn. Um, and again, I think it's really important to understand that burnout, it, it can be, I mean, it, it's not just like a one-time situation. Maybe you, you, you were busy and you went, didn't go to your doctor's appointment or you didn't feel like injecting for that one meal that one time, but it is a pattern behavior, um, but it can be reversible. Um, it's, if you are in a burnout stage right now, listening to this, I also want to you know speak hope into that experience. Um, that you might feel like you are in a hole and alone um, mm -hmm. and feel like you can't get out. But I, I want to yeah, encourage and, and speak hope into those uh, people who might be listening who are in a kind of burnout stage right now. Well, I have a question, but before I mm -hmm. ask it, I know you're using different headphones today than you usually do. Are they Apple wired headphones? They're wired Apple. Yes. Okay. Do you want me to switch? I want your hair to stop touching them. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all. Okay. <laughs> or it might be my scarf. Let me take that Something's off. Something's rubbing it. That's all. Okay. Okay. Thank you. No, no, please. Is that better? I won't know till you start talking again and moving okay. around. But <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so my my initial question as a, I mean, I mean, listen, I'm a neophyte on this. I don't have diabetes, uh, but I have been alive for 50 years and I feel like I've experienced burnout on a number of things in my life. So is it is it a similar feeling and a similar situation to anything else. I mean, could a person just get sick of getting up every day at seven o'clock and going to work or cleaning the house or like things that are repetitive that um, feel burdensome? Like, is that, I mean, is this a, a common human feeling or do you think it's very specific to diabetes? Oh, I think it's definitely a common human experience mm -hmm. of feeling burnout, going up, going to work, getting, you know, maybe getting the, getting the kids to school, um, making dinner, cleaning the house, doing all the normal errands of life. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe the difference is with the, with diabetes burnout, obviously that affects your, your life yeah, and your right. health. Um, but it might, and, and that is both physically and emotionally and not to minimize burnout in other areas. Maybe you're, you're on a, you're doing like a diet and exercise regimen. Um, you can burn out from that for periods of time. And that's a normal human phenomenon. Right. Um, and I think to anticipate and expect that is also healthy. So you're not feeling so shameful in those moments right. or ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can, but what it made me think of just now when you said that is that when my wife and I first got married and we were talking about what we thought it meant to be married, you know, for your whole life, I, I remember <laughs> saying, I don't know, like by the time it's over, if we have, you know, eight great years, nine okay years, three pretty great years, 
six crappy years. Like, like, I don't know. Like, I don't expect the whole thing to be not that I wouldn't work at it, but I would expect ebbs and flows like, like everything else. And you know what I mean? Like talking about this, just what you've been saying first off makes it feel so clear to me that people need to understand that they, they haven't caught some special diabetes flu. You, you, you know what I mean? Like that this is <clears throat> yes. just how people's minds work and that it could happen to you differently than it happens to me or more frequently or less severe, et cetera. Like it's not, it's not an experience that's just, you know, it, it, it's not going to be one size fits all, I, I guess is what I'm saying. Correct. Yeah. And I, I read a, a stat recently that over 50% of adults with type one experience burnout or, and kind of a distress burnout situation at least once a year. Um, and I think what you were referencing, you know, in terms of your marriage, it's managing your expectations in terms of, can I live this perfect marriage or, or perfect diabetes being a perfect diabetic, so to speak, mm-hmm. and having this, the perfect straight line and all of the things I think it's okay to strive for you know excellence and to strive for healthy management. But in that having appropriate expectations um, helps prevent the disappointment and, and which then goes back to the shame um, and, and feelings of, you know, of of pain and frustration and exhaustion and isolation, I think is the other, you know, big factor. Okay. And then commingled with health, which is what you were trying to say earlier. And then you're such a kind person. You, you were like, and not that it couldn't happen to other people, but, but um, your health is the, I mean, it's really what makes it, so emergent, right? Like if I, if I burn out on vacuuming, the worst that's going to happen is I have a dirty rug. Um, if I burn out on pre-bolusing, my A1C is going to go up two points. Um, that mm-hmm. That's a different situation. Like it, it really is. It makes it more, um, I, I think, I think you just said it. It makes it feel more like a failure. I would imagine mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. it feel more panicky. And then you see people roll into that feeling all the time. Like, well, you know, I mean, you know, like, I guess to bring it to a diet metaphor, like I already gained three pounds, what's five pounds? I already gained five pounds. What's, you know what I mean? Like my blood sugar is 150. Now it's always 180. Now it's always 200. And you just sort of incrementally, um, you just, you allow for more and more because it starts to feel like, like there's no way to get back to it. And I know that's just something people struggle with in general. Like, how do I get back to where I mean to be when it feels like this weight is on me? And it just gets heavier and heavier as times pass. So what's the answer to that question? Like, how do you mm-hmm. reset? Is there a blanket statement for that or no? Oh, gosh, yes. Well, I think resetting, I think if the example you just shared, I would want to pause and say, well, what what are you telling yourself? What are you thinking? What are you um what are you thinking, which obviously affects your feelings, which affects your behaviors. And so if you're thinking um, kind of your self-talk is negative and I'm never going to be able to get back to where I was, I'm never going to be able to figure out how to manage my blood sugars in the way that I know I should. Mm-hmm. How um, So kind of really, if you're in a very self-deprecating, um, really negative self-talk space, 
I think it would be healthy to, you know, reach out for help and which is obviously a hard, I know we've talked about this a lot. It's a really hard first step because when you're in that zone of cycling through, I'm a bad diabetic, I can never figure this out. I'm always high. I'm, or I'm always going up and down the roller coaster. I don't know how to do this. Um, I think it is it's kind of a true prong approach. And I know we have talked about, well, you need the tools to learn how to, how to manage your blood sugar. Right. right. Um, so one is, one is having the skill set, but then also there's the, the health and well being of your, of your psyche and how you are talking to yourself and how you're feeling about yourself in connection to your diabetes management. And that's when it's healthy a healthy first step would be to reach out to your endocrinologist and asking for either some help or a, re- a referral to a therapist, because I think that's when it's beneficial to not only learn the skill set of how to manage, but then also kind of process through how did you get to this place of feeling burnout? Um, and, and what kind of feelings felt so overwhelming that you stopped taking your insulin? So to, to, um, mm-hmm. to me, this brings up the two, uh, two, these two things in my head that I think support each other or, or let me see what you think. Now, you know, because you've been on the podcast for a while and, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> I apologize. And people who listen know um, that for me, I, I mean, I'm not a mental health professional and I don't have diabetes, but it's always been my hope or my assertion that having good tools would make management easier. And when, and when that management is easier, that hopefully that would alleviate some of the burdensome feelings that diabetes brings. Um, I know that's not 100% true. I know it's not going to work for everybody. I've talked to people who understand management backwards and forwards and still you know, experience uh, exactly what we're talking about today. But you you brought up something. I'm going to use the wrong word here, and you're going to correct me, okay? okay. But, but attitude. And I know it's not attitude when it's mental health, but it's – what is it? It's um, – intent. It's how you move forward. It's the, like, I feel like you're talking about a bigger subject. I think you're talking, I feel like, you'll tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like you're talking about just fortitude, like general life fortitude and that you're going to run into things. And that if your expectation or your response is, oh, here's something went wrong. I guess the whole thing's in the crapper. I'll just give up versus somebody who runs into a problem and just does not relent. They press forward and press forward. And I know that's not always a conscious decision that can be made that some people's brains are just wired differently. But I mean, is that what you're saying? Is it, it's just about how you attack the problem and how you think of it? I, would agree to that. Yes. A little bit. I think Mm -hmm. it's about mindset, right. And how either how you're wired or how you've learned to respond to either trauma. I mean, obviously with this is the, because it's chronic uh, management, right. Of learning how to manage your diabetes is a forever thing. And so having a, a positive mindset is definitely helpful, but just because you have a positive outlook, attitude, mantra, mindset doesn't mean that you won't experience these challenging emotions at some point. Sure. Yeah. I think then learning, then knowing how what to do with them is the next step. Um, because what 
and I think we're kind of getting more into like what we people would define as, as distress, diabetes distress. Like you can still have an amazing A1C. You can still know how to manage and pre-bolus and do all of the all of the things that you have you know taught so well on the podcast. Um, but maybe you still have a fear of hypoglycemia, mm-hmm. or maybe you still are struggling around food, or maybe you're still struggling around how people engage with you, whether it's friends or family about type one, but you know how to manage it well. And so those still, those little moments can still cause this distress um, throughout your life, even if you've, if you know how to manage and then, then it's okay. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I'm hearing myself say, I'm so irritated by diabetes. Why do I have to have this? Or why does, why do my friends at school keep talking to me about it? Or why do they keep saying, can you eat that? Can you eat that? Like those, if they're little, those are like little blips on the radar that will happen, mm-hmm. you know, for our entire life. Um, and then it's learning how to respond to like, it's okay to have those feelings. Obviously it's okay to be frustrated. That's what I talk about a lot with my, my families, my, and my clients. It's okay to be angry and frustrated with having type one. Right. That's a normal response. It's then okay, now what are we going to do with that? Can we express it? Can we process that as opposed to then spiraling further, further into a hole, right. which then leads to the burnout. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Um, and I'm not a, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a bootstraps person. Like I would never turn to you and be like, try harder. You, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, I don't feel that way. And I understand that a lot of people have a lot of different impacts that maybe are lifelong or, you know, something that. Uh, makes this trauma feel, um, you know, reflective of something that's happened to them in the past. I only have myself. Like, I only know that mm-hmm. I raised, like, I, I and I'm always, I'm endlessly interested about this because my wife grew up in a tough situation. I grew up in a much harder situation. I don't know why I'm a head down, keep moving, move forward person and not a, oh my God, what happened to me? This is a disaster. I give up. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think I can take credit for it is what I'm saying. And I don't, th- you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what it is about me or the situation that I came through and all the people who impacted me along the way or didn't. I just turned out the way I turned out. And so is it just as simple as like, you know what I mean? Like, I know I'm asking like a deeper question that you probably don't yeah. have the answer to, but <laughs> but is it just random? Is it just random that, that I'm the guy, like, if the zombies come, Erica, come find me. We're living through it, okay? <laughs> right. I don't know why. I just know Scott wins in the end, okay? It's mm-hmm. how it's how it's just always gone for me. Now, is that a function of my decision-making? Is it a function of something that happened to me in the past? And is it and, – and, and what about the person who sees the zombies and just lays down and goes, okay, eat me? Surrender, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, like, like that's not – that's they can no more – be told that they're at fault for that, then I can be given credit for my response. That's how I Mm -hmm. think about it, but I don't know how that helps people. I'm going to take a moment to tell you about the Omnipod Dash. It's an insulin pump that doesn't have any tubing, which means it's not connected to anything. You just wear it on your body. And then that thing that's on you, the pod, it's not connected to anything else. So you don't have to disconnect from a controller to bathe or swim or 
play soccer, for example. You also don't have any tubing, so it can't get caught on doorknobs, kitchen cabinets. You know what I mean? Have you ever walked past the kitchen cabinet and it got in the, um, the loop on your sweatpants and it's like almost pulls you over? You know what I'm talking? You know what I'm talking about. That could happen with tubing on an insulin pump, but not with the Omnipod. Now, my daughter has been wearing an Omnipod, gosh, since she's four years old. Every day since then, Omnipod has been with Arden. And it has been absolutely, uh, I, I like to tell people it's been a friend. It really has been a comfort, an amazing tool, and something that we just couldn't do without. Now, you can learn more about it at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Once you get there, you can get started. You can learn more about the device, or you can see if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Now, to me, that makes sense, right? You take the trial, 30 days, by then you're going to know what you think, and you can make a good informed decision without it costing you any money. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, Scott, but I'm waiting for Omnipod 5, so I don't want to... I don't want to get started with Dash right now. I hear that, but you don't have to worry about that because of the Omnipod promise. The Omnipod promise is simple. Here, here, here's an example of how you can put it into action. You get the free 30-day supply of the Dash, and let's say the Omnipod 5 comes out like a month later. There's no need to wait for that Omnipod 5 because with the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by your insurance. For full safety, risk information, and Omnipod promise terms and conditions, as well as safety, risk information, and free trial terms and conditions, you can visit omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now you're going to have that nice pod and you're going to want to know what your blood sugar is and you're going to want it to be super duper accurate. Here's how you do that. You get yourself a Contour Next One blood glucose meter. ContourNext.com forward slash juice box. This meter is easy to sell. It sells itself. Why is that? Well, it's small, but not too small. It fits in your pocket or in your diabetes bag. It has second chance test strips, meaning you can touch the blood, not get quite enough, and go back and get more without ruining the accuracy of the test. Having said that, it doesn't need very much blood for that test. This meter rocks. Nice bright light for nighttime use. Screen is super easy to read. If you want to pair it with an app on your iPhone or Android, you can. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. Best darn blood glucose meter my daughter's ever used. Bar none. Holding up my hand like I'm in court getting ready to testify. I promise. I swear to tell the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. Get yourself a Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Contour Next com forward slash juice box. Amazing website, ton of information. I haven't even scratched the surface. Get over there. Links in your show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Well, and I feel like we're talking about, you know, is it, is it resilience? Is it, and how is that? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is a little bit of both? I would I would look at, you know, what was your what was modeled for you and your family as a child? Mm -hmm. What was um what kinds of um 
other traumas or stressors were you exposed to as a child? And how did you see the people around you respond to those? Yeah. Um, you know, for some families, when their their child is diagnosed, it can be a very I mean, it's obviously traumatic for anyone in the beginning. And then there are some families who say, we're going to, this isn't going to stop you. We're going to do all the things right. all the time. Um, and then there are some families who it might, it might take longer for them to get to that kind of baseline. Okay. We've, we've, we're going to get through this yeah. and that's okay. So I, I, I'm not minimizing anything, but I can tell you raising my kids that, you know, Arden got hit once in the knee with a softball while she was pitching by a much bigger girl. And I mean, it downed her like oh. she went down hard. Right. And, um, my wife's like, go check on her. I was like, the coach is with her. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you have to go out too. And I'm like, eh, she'll be all right. Let her, I, I, and, and Kelly's panicking. I'm like, Kelly, listen, if she's dead, she's already dead and there's nothing we can do about it. I said, but, <laughs> oh, but, gosh. right, but this is literally what I said to my wife. Don't be jealous, ladies. Um, and I said, if she's dead, she's already <laughs> dead and there's nothing we can do about it. But if she's going to be okay one day, let her figure it out on her own for a minute. Like, let's not make her think that every time something happens to her, we're going to run behind her, scoop her up and be like, it's okay. And I did make my way to her, but not, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't mm-hmm. running on the field screaming, my baby. You know, like it was, right, I, you know, right. I let it play out. That that little girl, I, you guys will know Arden now as being 5'7", and she's a woman. But back then, Arden was 5'3". She weighed like 90 pounds. Mm. And she was tiny. And she got up. Continued to pitch the inning, got the rest of her outs, bunted in the next inning, ran to first, and then walked over to me and said, I think I should stop playing. <laughs> okay. And so, so I said, hey, no problem. What's wrong? And she's like, my knee is really swelling up. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so, oh, um, my gosh. But, but that, that little moment, I think, is why when you hear Arden interviewed on the podcast, you say to yourself, like, that kid just sounds like she doesn't even care that she has diabetes. Because mm-hmm. on some level... I don't think she does. Like, like I think that it's not, I, I should say that it's not a number one stressor in her life. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. is a pain in the butt. Like, she just came in here 20 minutes before you and I recorded. She comes in and she goes, hey, let's go get lunch. And I said, I'm going to record with Erica now. I can't. And she's like, oh, she made a little disappointed face. And then I said, um, but I'll be done in about an hour. I'm going to jump in the shower and we can go. And she's like, okay. And then I said, is your pump almost out of insulin? And I watched her think. Her eyes rolled back in her head. She thought, and she goes, yeah, I'll go change it. And I was like, okay. And she uh, laughed. But no, like, no, like, Scarlett O'Hara moment. No, what was me? Mm-hmm. I can't believe this is happening. You, you know, and I don't know. Like, to me, it's a fine line when you're raising children, right? Like, you, you have to let them stand on the edge by themselves. But they have to know you're there, but not feel like they don't have to do it. But what happens if you're 19 or 20 years old? That's not how you were raised. What if somebody, I, I don't want to say coddled, because I, I really do think, Erica, that when people talk about this nowadays, it's just, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. I don't think they talk about it correctly. I think people make mm. overly simplified generalizations. We coddle kids now. You know what I mean? Pressure makes diamonds, and they don't say anything else. I'm like, all right, well, pressure also <laughs> makes, you know what I mean? Pressure also <laughs> makes an- anxiety-ridden people, like, mm-hmm. flip their shit. You know, mm-hmm, so, so mm-hmm. Th- you have to support people. I, you know, I hate using these like, like, I hate using office words, but you have to meet people where they are. 
That's right. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I just said that. I feel like <laughs> that was that was really good. <laughs> I know, but I feel like an idiot saying it. It's, it's like it's like if I ever said, "Let's think outside of the box," I'd be the first right. person to be like, "Oh, Scott, shut up." Uh, but but it is it is a hundred percent true. You have to meet people where they are. You have to raise your children who they are, not who you want them to be or what you think a perfect scenario would be. So then, my question keeps coming back to me: Is now? I, we've kind of covered the parenting aspect of it. I mean, if no one's paying attention, what I'm saying to you is let your kids struggle a little bit, but not too much. Uh, you figure out where it fits, my opinion. But what I really want to hear from you is adults or or adolescent children or people you see in your practice, they come in and this is how they see the world. It's against them. They're mm-hmm. losing. It's too hard. Um, where do you... Where do you like? Where would you mm-hmm. begin to get somebody back and say, "This is no harder for you than it is for anybody else," and that person's doing great? Let's get you thinking more like that person. <laughs> well, I would never say that, but <laughs> I, well, I know would. you wouldn't because you're a professional, Erica. You understand like psychology and stuff. But go ahead. Well, I would first, um, I would commend them for taking the first step for seeking help because that's often, you know, the most challenging thing when you are in a state of, of burnout or high distress. Um, I think I would also be curious to learn about their upbringing, you know, thinking about your story, your softball story with Arden. I was wondering, you know, when you were a little boy, how were you tended to when you got hurt or had a hard day at school? Eric, I grew uh, up in the seventies. I was, <laughs> I was taught to swim by being thrown in a pool and somebody going, he probably won't drown. <laughs> when I was fingers crossed. When I was picked on as a child, I can't believe I have two pool references in a row. But when I was picked on as a child, 10, 11, 12 years old, by the kid in like I grew up in an apartment complex. The kid in the apartment complex that basically terrorized everyone. He was older and bigger and stronger in my mind. He was like Lou Ferrigno. I'm sure he wasn't. Um, he would hold us underwater in the pool during the summertime. And, oh my gosh. Uh, and my I, my mom told me, figure it out. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Figure it out. Um, you were, you know, you were encouraged to, I mean, I'm sure there was some sort of safety, sense of safety and nurturing, but also <laughs> this, <laughs> because you, you do that as a father um, or, or you're, you've learned that. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I would be curious to hear just kind of what has been their history of dealing with stress and when things are hard, how do they respond? Mm-hmm. Um, I also would spend a lot of time normalizing the experience because being feeling like you're in a state of burnout and you're you're stressed out and overwhelmed, um, it's not it's not a complication. It's not like a side effect. It's not a, um, yeah, it's not a complication of having type one or diabetes type two. It doesn't matter. It's a part of living with it. Um, and so I think helping, helping the clients see that they're, they're not alone is a huge part of, of healing and growth, Mm -hmm. because I think you do get stuck in that. I'm the only one who can't figure this out. I'm the only one who's so burdened by living with this chronic illness. Um, and so it is, it is a normal part of living with type one. And so, um, 
and then moving into a place of compassion as a result. I think once you realize that you're, you're not alone, you can start to be kinder to yourself. Um, and that's also another step towards healing is just learning how to nurture yourself and be compassionate and kind that way that maybe you didn't experience as a child yeah. and needed to. How much of this is about your expectation for what should be? Oh, I, I think it's it's a majority mm-hmm. of like I having your expectation that it's everything is you're going to be perfect and get, you know, the time, everything perfectly have the correct response and all of it is, is a big, is a big part of it. And so I think understanding that you can't be a perfect quote diabetic, um, that you are going to have, and there, there are going to be moments, not just like mistakes on a, on a daily basis or like, oops, I, I bolst, you know, four units. I should have probably done double that or, or should have started the, you know, pre-bowl sooner. Um, that's, that's totally normal, but then also being kind to yourself when you, when you're in the, when you're in burnout. So it's like being, being practicing self-compassion in the moment to moment, but then also in the larger, you know, grander scheme of of where you are Mm -hmm. emotionally. So you, you hear people say this, I think they're half in joking and they're half being serious, but I've heard a lot of people say this and I have to be honest with you. I, I subscribe to this a little bit as I was coming up. So, um, again, it's not diabetes, but I grew up really broke. My dad left when I was 13. We didn't have any money. My mom was always working. I was raising my brothers by the time I was 13 and a half. Like, you know, they were like eight mm-hmm. and five. I have the bar set so low, Erica. And <laughs> 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 if I walk across the room and nothing bad happens, I'm like, we are winning. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Finally, things are coming together for Scott. And like, so I, I really do think that. I think that because I was... I, because I grew up in a situation that just wasn't full of things going the way you wanted or wins, that mm-hmm. anytime something went even reasonably right, I was like, hey, we're we're moving. Like, we're moving forward. I'm getting there, you know? Um, and, and I don't – I mean, obviously, you can't – nobody wants my upbringing. But, but, <laughs> I, mean, but I, I don't know how you – I remember feeling when my kids were little that we had – we had ascended a little bit. My wife and I had bettered our lives. And I remember worrying, where is my son's friction going to come from? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like how can you, how can he, how can he learn to see the zombies and laugh if everything that happens to him is always perfect? And that anytime something goes wrong, it's tough. I'll tell you right now, his health had been perfect till he was twenty one when he got Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. He had a much harder time with it than Arden would have. Because nothing had gone wrong in 21 years for him, and and it was it was it was more of a a process. Now that's when my wife and I come in and support him, and you know it's tough because you're you're you're, you're supporting a person who might not want to hear your support at times. So you have to kind of be like a ninja about when you slip it in sometimes and not go too far. And there's a whole um, there's a skill set into into getting thoughts into people's heads without without them pushing back so hard that you don't get to say the next thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just, to me, expectations got to have a lot to do with it. And from there it's perspective. Yes. And I think also what you're talking about is like, because you went through the the challenging times, not only did that build resilience, but it's sense of, you know, grit 
that's a big term these days in the mental health world is, um, which a lot of people also experienced, you know, but now coming out of the pandemic of like this sense of grit, like we can get through this, but that doesn't also, and then also the challenges has brought you to a place of gratitude. Um, And so I think fine, it's like finding that balance of, okay, I can experience the stressors and these hard moments. um, But you also have found, at least in your own story, you know, moments of of gratitude of when things are, things go well and you're, you're excited and you celebrate. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think that on social media, I'm not a big proponent of, you know, blaming social media for things, but I do get why seeing people struggle online is important. Like I, I like when people share honestly, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying, because mm-hmm. then you can look and go, oh, hell, like that happens to me. I thought I was the only one, but it happened to that person, too. I try my hardest to balance hope about management of diabetes on the podcast with remembering to tell people like my kid's blood sugar is not always 90. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know yeah. it could. I know you can hear Arden's A1C and think, "Oh, she must walk around with a 92 blood sugar constantly." <laughs> it's not, it's <laughs> right, not straight that, line yeah. all day long. That yeah. isn't how that works. And so, but but what I do is I limit highs. I limit the length of spikes. Like I get, you know, I don't, you know, where some people, you know, think of as a higher number. You get the 140. I start getting a little. I'm like, I don't like how this is going. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 180. I consider high. And all I mm-hmm. learned about that. That that example for Arden's care was that at 180, I could crush that high and bring it back down without creating a low. So I just changed in my mind the definition of a high blood sugar. That's all I did, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, I thought high was 300. Right, right. And, and that's it. So I just decided that high went 180, which changed how I reacted to things, which changed my outcome. It was like that mm-hmm. simple. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, but somebody needs to say that to you once so that, you know, and I mean, Erica, I don't know how much you actually get to listen to this podcast, but I've spoken to just, I mean, close to a thousand people at this point and and everyone's stories are fairly similar. The reasons why people do well versus struggle, there's a ton of similarities in there. Most of the time it's got nothing to do with them. It's got Mm -hmm. to do with. The random stuff like meeting the right doctor or having a parent who didn't help too much and didn't help too little, um, you know, having some hope, uh, like like meeting people who have diabetes, hearing other people's stories, like all these very common through lines. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? Like in the end, like I think that's I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Like we're not just talking about how do you save somebody who's so far down the burnout hole that they can't see the light anymore. You're also talking about how do you stay out of it to begin with or limit your time in it, I think. Y- yes. Okay. And I think all of those things are very common, um, you know, key factors in helping you survive right. living with type one, you know, the community, not feeling like you're alone, having the support, having a doctor who understands, um, Having the hope, I think, is a huge and belief that you're going to be okay, and hope that you, it won't. It there will be moments and seasons where diabetes might feel more challenging, and there are all sorts of you know those. They're the normal stressors of life, um, and but understanding that it's not always going to be like that. I think that's that's a, a common um, misunderstanding and and 
when you're feeling down, you feel like you're always going to feel that down. Um, but to remember that, you know, those, those, it passes, right. it does pass. And to have hope and understanding that it will helps you kind of get through those stages. It feels to me like expecting that everything isn't going to be perfect without dreading that everything isn't going to be perfect mm-hmm. is a big key, right? Like knowing that, I mean, l- listen, it, everyone has who uses insulin is going to agree with what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter how well things are going. In the back of your head, you're like, this is going to get sideways at some point. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know when and I don't know why, uh, but I am going to just like, you know, all of a sudden, like see a blood sugar is just creeping 90, 110, 120. You're like, oh God, this is never going to stop. I haven't said mm-hmm. this in a while, but those kind of, those kind of blood sugars that remind me of that price is right. Um, this, yes, the climbing, yeah, climbing the, the, yeah, the, uh, climbing the Matterhorn. Right, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they're like yodeling, and there's this yodeling yes. that happens, and the whole time you're watching it, you could see the person playing the game like, it's going to stop, it's going to stop, it's going to stop, and then it doesn't, it falls off the edge. Um, yes. <laughs> that's how I, that's how, that's how I think of those climbing blood sugars. Um on a side note, a woman sent me a text today and asked me if I was dyslexic because she said that dyslexics think in pictures. I'm not dyslexic, but oh. um, I n- never heard that before. So you're a visual. You're yeah. I just, I just, my brain makes connections to things that don't appear to have anything to do with. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I was right there with you. I was totally envisioning the guy cl- climbing. The uh, yeah. the mountain. Oh, I can hear the yodeling. I I <laughs> yeah. don't even I don't even think Drew Carey. I think Bob Barker and that. Little, oh, for sure. Oh no, for sure. Yes. Little tiny pencil microphone he had and everything. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> but, but so like when you're in that situation, and people have heard me say it on the podcast a lot, and I believe in it. Like one of the keys to diabetes management is not to give in to the drama, and like that's how I used to think of it. But as we're having this conversation, I mean, I, it might be a little reductive to say drama, but. At the same time, I'm not going to apologize for it because I mean it and I think it's accurate. You can't have something happen and start running around like, oh, woe is me. This is I, this is how it's going to be. Everything sucks. It, 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 to me, you use that moment to try to figure it out. It's an example for you to look at. You make a better decision next time with insulin, which is most likely where it went wrong. And mm-hmm. and and it's a learning experience because every time you ignore a learning experience, it, it becomes a, it's a it's another problem that's just going to happen again, and you know. So, what I see happen to people when I'm kind of watching them online and talking to them is that some people throw themselves into the despair, and some people steal up their spine and fight back. I'm endlessly fascinated by who is who, right? You and know? and how how did they get there? Right. Oh, I'm never yeah. going to not be interested in that. Yes. You know, and well, I don't think there's a, a an answer, like I said, but I, it's fascinating to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there is no kind of general summary statement that you can make as to how or why you fall into either category. Right. Um, I think it's, it's all, it's all the factors that we, that we talked about. Right, right. Hey, so I'm going to draw a line here. Okay. You're probably going to disagree with me, but anyway, that's what'll make this fun. Um, okay. And I'm not saying dollar for dollars, apples to apples, okay? But in the last handful of years in society in general, online specifically, I feel like I'm seeing people who want to be upset. Does that make sense? Like not, like like they, like they, they're, I don't know, somebody says something social or political or something like that. 
And if you're just reasonable about it and step back, you go, ah, all right, I see what they're saying. Or, you know, I, I don't agree, but whatever. But instead, they feel like that's an opening to proselytize their idea, right? Like, it's almost like they're looking for an opening to say something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if, similarly but not the same, if when something goes wrong in someone's life, if they're just they're just almost happy, maybe subconsciously happy, to have a reason to complain. Like, they just want to tell the world, like, this sucks. I have diabetes. And you can't say that to people. You can't walk around going, oh, my God, everything's terrible. I got to shoot. I got this pump on. I'm doing this. I hate all this. <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. So it's just a great opportunity to commiserate maybe just with yourself it, it, because there's no one else. Like, that's what I'm starting to think. Like, do you just – does it give you the opportunity to just sit down for a second and feel bad for yourself? Because you don't have anybody else to talk about it with day to day. Like, like, I don't know how important, I, I guess. So, what I'm and you're is, wondering, like, is that how people kind of get to a stage of burnout? Or are you saying that is that an opportunity for them to, it's okay to validate the, I, the challenges to yourself? Well, as ironic as this is going to sound, I think both. I, uh-huh. I, you know, like, <laughs> I think that it's a, I don't think there's anything wrong with stopping for a minute and going, my God, this is hard. Um, I wish this was not happening to me. But I don't know how valuable that is for you to do with any real consistency. I have had right. those absolute thoughts. I have stood in a room privately and thought, how the hell did this happen to my kids? Mm-hmm. When I look around and I see so many other people who do not have concerns like this, how is my smart and funny and pretty daughter always worried about this thing or always having to think mm-hmm. about this thing or waking up in the morning and tell me, hey, my stomach hurts. I don't know what it's from. Or, mm-hmm. you know, the other night, Erica, her toes started to go numb. Ugh. Arden's been Arden's been tested for everything under the sun. And she <laughs> she has hypothyroidism and type one diabetes. Like there's nothing that points to any other thing, Addison's or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. anyone's going to hear and think of next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, trust me, we've looked, okay? <laughs> so um, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And yet, here's my daughter trying to do homework. Dad, my toes are numb. Can you just squeeze them so they don't hurt like this till it stops? Mm. 17. Well, why has that got to happen to her? <sighs> and And if I were to think that over and over again, that would crush me. Right. So I squeeze her toes, and then we get up and we keep moving. And you, you know what I mean? Like you, mm-hmm. you just can't like Eric, it's too much. It'd be too much. Like, I think the problem that I just realized with this conversation is that I think of myself, I think of myself as a person who's going to beat the zombies. And I believe that, but I don't know that that's true. I just think it's important that I believe it. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Gosh, I think, you just touched on a lot of different things. I think having the space, like I see, you know, in the Facebook group, um, who are pe- like particularly people who are newly diagnosed, um, often caregivers will will share and grieve, and they receive the validation. I think that's a beautiful place to share your initial grief, and 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 then you receive the the validation and the community support. It's just, it's beautiful. And I see that all the time. Um, that's totally healthy and appropriate. I think, and then you're wondering, but how, I think we want to look at, is it becoming a pattern in your response to living with the chronic illness or being the caregiver 
for it. I think, yes, it is so normal and healthy to, to commiserate and to let that out and say, I cannot believe we're still dealing with this. Or now we're, you know, all the, like the transitions going into high school, going into college, having children, and maybe your, your doctor moves or you have to change insurance and you have to change doctors, all of those things, or, or you have, you, you know, all of, all of the different factors in management within life's transitions are definitely opportunities to, to vent and grieve with your, with your family, with community. But I think you're wondering like, when does that become, if that is your automatic thought and response to daily management, whether you are the person with type one or the caregiver, then that would be a time to maybe look internally and say, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I know how to manage this emotionally. Yeah. Um, and I need to reach out for, for more professional help. Right. Cause I think I do want to normalize the, the process of, of, ex, of grieving and that's what it is. I just think if it's you don't grieving have the loss of normalcy, but then yeah. you having that balance, sorry. No, no, you have to be able to talk to some, I mean, in the end, if we, if we strip all this down, you're a little kid, you didn't get good communication from your parents or you didn't get good communication from a doctor or you didn't have good communication with other people who have diabetes. And now here you are. These problems that you thought, oh, this is never going to affect me. I'm good. Start to pile up on you. You have to go seek out someone to talk to. Like it could be Erica if you live in California, or <laughs> it, or, or it could be um, a friend. Or I I know a lot of people listen to this show because hearing other people's problems helps alleviate their own. Um, you know, like whatever yes. it is. But you can't just sit there and hope it's not going to happen or that it's going to go away because that's not going to work. That's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, right. I would yeah, like to normalize yeah. conversation about it too, no matter where you have the conversation. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then learning how to, because as we know, there will be challenging moments with, with not just diabetes, but in life and learning how to respond, how to give yourself the, like the validation and then having to move on. And I'm sorry to hear about Arden's toes, by the way, I Thank skipped you. over. I wanted to <laughs> say that I hope that you that it becomes resolved. You're very nice. Um, We're going to cut her toes off and fix it that way. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> Wouldn't that be something if we had all of her toes surgically removed, then the tip of her foot started to tingle? <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be <laughs> that awful. Would, uh, right. Anyway, then it would turn into like a weird horror movie where eventually Arden would just be a nub. Anyway, that's not here nor there. We're not going to cut off her toes. Um, we're going to, she has an appointment in a couple of days with an integrative um, endocrinologist and we're going to mm-hmm. just keep, we're going to keep hacking away until we figure something out, but we're not going to stop living while we're trying to figure it out. Meaning meaning that if, listen, I'm not saying that this is the truth, but meaning that if Arden's life is, you know, let's say her health is, let's say we have a crystal ball and we can see the future and Arden's health is going to completely degrade by the time she's 35 and she's going to spontaneously combust. Um, like, I still wouldn't sit around today and go, woe is me. I'd be like, get to college, learn the thing, get good at what you're doing, meet people, live your life. It, like, I think that's just super important to remember that, that this is going to sound so hippie, but you're not promised any certain amount of time. And mm-hmm. so the truth is you just got to live the best you can day to day. And, you know, some people, some people get to walk through a field of flowers through their life and not too much goes wrong for them. And some people are being shot with arrows while they're trying to walk forward through that, that field of flowers. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> but, but in my mind, I want to be the guy that gets hit with the arrow and doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, I, I, I'm going to take as many of them as I can before I give up. 
And mm-hmm. I just think that that's, you can think of it a different way. It's like, maybe it's fake it till you make it. Or maybe it's just a little bit of, a little bit of blind ignorance on my part. But one way or the other, I know what the alternative is. The mm-hmm. alternative is it's over. And that's not okay for me. So I'd rather walk through that field of flowers with a, with an arrow in my shoulder than not see the field of flowers at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of how I think about life. Like, I don't know how long this is going to last. I'm not missing any of it. That That's all. Yeah. So I love that. And I think, yeah. And how did you get there? It's all of, you know, your life experience. Um, your upbringing, Erica. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Well, and then, and then you've learned, you've learned how you want to face your day and your life. Um, I think as you were talking about, you know, you're, you guys are live, you're moving forward, but you also are getting the doctor's appointment to kind of explore if there's something else going on for Arden. Um, I think that's, you're able to break down that there's this bigger concern, what is happening, but you can break it down into smaller chunks. You are taking it one day at a time. I think that part of what also leads to the the feeling of over, I'm so overwhelmed. I have to, I'm just, I'm giving up. I mean, obviously that's not always a conscious decision. Um, it's just feeling like, I don't even know how to, to get back to, you know, ground zero in terms of my functioning emotionally, physically with my management. Yeah. And so finding ways to break it down and just say, okay, well, I'm going to make an appointment. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to fix everything today. Um, I think that's another helpful well, um, listen, way to respond. I'll break it down into two sentences for anybody who's listening. Get your basil right, pre-bolus your meals, <laughs> everything's going to get a lot easier. Then when it gets easier, go listen to the pro tips and make other like adjustments. I seriously mean that. I don't mm-hmm. listen if It's a good first step for sure. Five yes. people or 5 million people listen to those pro tips, I don't make any more or less money. I don't, you know, I'm just telling you I think the information's in there. I think Jenny and I laid it out really well and it's a way that's absorbable. It's not overwhelming. And you mm-hmm. really will see a difference. You'd be surprised. You get those high blood sugars down and more stable, how much better you feel and how much better that makes you at being able to weather a bad day. You know what I mean? Because you're not already, I mean, we don't talk about it enough, right? But high blood sugars, swinging blood sugars, they affect your emotions too. And your and your oh, brain, yes. your clarity, everything. They in two ways they affect your emotions not only like physically because you don't feel you don't feel good physically mm-hmm. which makes you feel emotionally not well but then I think there's the also like the self efficacy self competency part of it too like yeah. not only do you feel physically yucky and then you might have the I can't even figure this out you got thought. failure on top of it yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. oh I, I'll tell you I just I love I love talking about stuff like this but you know I I just want to say. This might be clinically improper, and you can do your own disclaimer afterwards if you're like, (laughs) I do not, I don't ascribe to what Scott just said. But I think if you're struggling sometimes and you're listening to another person, whether it's on this podcast or it's me now or whatever it is, and you think, God, I wish I was more like that in that situation, just steal it from me for a little while. Just pretend. Like there's nothing wrong with just pretending until. I, I do think fake it till you make it's a real thing. You, you know, I, I there's nothing wrong with saying other people do this, damn it. I bet you I could too. And even though this feels completely wrong to me right now, I'm just going to, I'm going to say the right things and I'm going to do the right things and I'm going to believe it. And maybe because the truth is, the truth is that the difference between success and failure is really just, it's just 
taking the right steps. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Like you can, you can paint a wall right or you can paint a wall wrong. If I teach you how to paint a wall correctly, you don't have to know shit about painting to paint the wall anymore. Somebody showed you mm-hmm. what to do. You do it when you're done. The wall's got paint on it. Mm-hmm. Five or six or seven or ten walls later, you actually know how to paint the wall. And then you get the outcome that you expect. So there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that idea. Just to model somebody who's having success until you can create that success for yourself. Am I completely off on that or? No, I think, I think that can work for many people having, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the mantra of like, I can do it. I'm going to, here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to model what I see other people do. I'm going to fake it. And I'm going to tell myself I have hope and belief in myself. Um, And I think for many people that might be all they need is having that mantra, having the tools. I think there are others who might need the more support getting to that place to have the hope to be able to say, I know I can do this, or I believe in myself. I know I just need to do X, Y, and Z. And so I just want to also speak to people who might be listening who are feeling like, well, I I can't even say that. I can't even pretend. I can't even try and fake it Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm so low. I'm struggling so much. Um, and, and if, and that's okay too, you know, to be in a place where you feel like I can't even, I can't even imagine faking it till I make it because I can't even get out of bed. Um, and so I just want to speak some compassion into that group as well, that it's okay if you're in that zone. But I think for many people that might be the first step is having that mantra. Yeah. Has Mm -hmm. it happened to you? Did, it, did burnout ever happen to me? Yeah. I would say not in the, the sense of um, a long period of time, but I can say burnout often might look like, and this happens to a lot of the, the teens that I work with as well. When I was a teenager, just wanting to be quote normal and fit in. And so maybe this was back in the day with, you know, finger pricks and injections where I wouldn't take my blood sugar for I wouldn't say it was all day, but there are definitely moments over long periods of time where I would not take my blood sugar because I just didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I would still inject, but that was not positive. You know, there weren't always positive outcomes with that. And yeah. so I would say burnout can look like in certain stages of life, um, just wanting to ignore like you don't have type one right. to a certain extent. Um, and so that I did experience that for sure as a teenager yeah. in high school. Uh, back when I was younger, yeah. my friend, uh, decided to not have diabetes for a week. And mm-hmm. then he was in the hospital and he was in DK. Um, but it, it, he told me afterwards, he's like, I just didn't want to do it for one week, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know what led him to that. And I, I can't ask him now because he's he's gone. But um, yes, I, we, I think we spoke about yeah, him. Yeah, before. but I just remember like so clearly it happening. He just disappeared mm-hmm. one day. And I was like, I called his house. His mom's like, he's in the hospital. And then mm. spoke to him afterwards and, that's all he said. He said, I just didn't want to do it for one week. But sadly, that's not the way it works. So, uh, Erica, I've been mulling yeah. over for a half an hour whether I want to tell this story. You're going to be so horrified by it. But please remember that it happened like over 40 years ago. Okay? Okay. Okay. Um, uh, my dad grew up on a farm. And uh, if I disagreed with him, he'd yell at me. If I didn't agree with him after that, he'd smack me. That was just sort of – that was the process. Um, okay. And I remember one day, I don't know what we were talking about, but I can tell you that I was only maybe 12 years old. And he was physically imposing um, as a as a person, but specifically to me at 12. He looked like a 
like he looked like a monster to me. Like he was huge, mm-hmm. you know, and he was yelling at me for something and I knew he wasn't right. And I could have easily just said like, all right, yeah, I'm sorry. And instead I tried to, I tried to converse with him, which, you know, always goes really well when someone's yelling at you. Um, and I pointed out where I thought I was right. And he didn't like that. And he smacked me. And I, I did it again. I responded again. And I think the next time he hit me, I stumbled and I went to the ground. Like, I really want to be clear. Not that it matters. He did not knock. He didn't hit me hard enough to knock me off my feet. I literally backed up and like stumbled over something. Mm-hmm. But once I was on the ground, um, it was too much effort to reach down to hit me. <laughs> so he just started doing it with his foot instead. And it wasn't like in a movie, like he wasn't kicking me in the stomach and doubling me over. He was just like, and I, I'm again, not making, I genuinely am not, I'm not, I'm not covering for him. It's a shitty thing to do. No one should mm-hmm. do it. I don't care if it was the seventies, the eighties, the nineties or whatever. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I just want to let you know, he was not kicking me to my death. And so he's now re-asking the question and saying things like, do you agree with me now? And then I'd say no. Oh, my goodness. And he'd kick me. And so at some point, I gathered up all of my strength and I said, you can hit me as much as you want. It's not going to make you right. And he stopped. And I remember that moment as a triumph in my life. I don't remember it as being smacked. I don't remember it as being abuse. I remember it as me standing up for myself and actually being able to change, make an effect of change. Like, I don't think it changed him. I don't think it made him less of who he was. But from there forward, he did not try to pressure me out of my opinion ever again. And I know that's not what's supposed to happen in a parenting relationship. I'm not not saying any of that. I'm saying sometimes... You have to look this stuff in the face and just be like, you, and mm-hmm. just get angry and and stick up for yourself, kind of no matter what's going to happen. Like, in the end, like, you're it. Like, you and your health and this diabetes thing and all that comes with it, I think at some point you just got to stand in front of that monster and be like, I, I don't care what you do. I don't give up. And And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think. I think that's a big part of who I am. And and as much as I don't want to have a memory of being smacked uh, as a kid, it, it's one of my most enduring, prideful moments. Wow, Scott. Thank, well, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. Yeah. Um, I feel like that depicts and explains why and how you are the person today and how you respond to trauma. Yeah. Um, how, how old were you again when this happened? I, I couldn't have remember? been maybe 11 or 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever have an opportunity to share <laughs> that? I mean, I don't know if you, what kind of relationship you had with your dad as an adult or if he's alive still, I'm sorry. I don't know that. He left um, about a year later and I didn't see him until I was an adult uh-huh. uh, and um, maybe more than a handful of times at the end of his life, uh, we did see him and explain to him. Uh, how all that felt at that point, he was an older man. It, it, it's so interesting with mm-hmm. guys. Like once the testosterone's gone, they're just different. Mm-hmm. Y- you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. I wasn't talking to the guy that smacked me when I was eleven. When mm-hmm. you know when he was in his seventies. Um, but yeah, no, we were very clear with him about how I I I. 
took my brothers to meet him uh, one day, and I said, look, I don't think we're here to make a relationship. We are here to unburden ourselves. Do not mm-hmm. worry about how he feels. You tell him how you feel. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. did We did that. And I mean, I was at his deathbed when he died, and I was quite glad that I was there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I feel I don't have any that I'm aware of lingering concerns about it at all. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was also the seventies, like people hit each other for like <laughs> any reason whatsoever. It wasn't mm-hmm. uncommon for this to happen. Erica, one time I shot my brother with a BB gun just to see what would happen. That was the seventies. <laughs> okay. And by the way, if anybody's wondering, it hurts like hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I think, but I mean, not only did that story is obviously a part of your your growth and, and you know character development, but that also was who you are. I mean, in that moment, that was who you are. You were st- you know sticking up for yourself for truth, and so you had. It feels like you had you were born with a sense of grit. <laughs> I want I want to um, be clear that I think you are who you are in your mind. Like it, like if you're thinking back on if you're hearing that story, oh, first of all, you're horrified. I, I appreciate that. I'm sorry I had to tell it to you. But um, <laughs> if you're picturing me as like some sort of like in shape, buff 12 year old kid who was that like I was a little fat kid. Like I had no reason to stick up for myself. <laughs> Seriously, Erica, like there was mm. nothing imposing about me. I, there was no that man did not think I was going to stand up and turn the tide on him. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. uh, all I had was what was in my heart and in my head. Like, that's how I think of myself. I almost don't mm-hmm. even know what I look like. Like, in, I'm my thoughts. That's how I think mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. I think of myself. And I can't imagine something you could give me that I don't think I could conquer. I, I'm, I, I'd be wrong, but I can't imagine that thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing about the way I grew up that gave me any kind of confidence. Like, not, nothing like that. I just... I don't know. I just try to remain true to what I expect for myself. And I think I think everybody, that's a simple thing for people to do, to say, I want to be healthy. And I don't want my blood sugars to jump all over the place, damn it. And I can stand up to this and make a change. And if you don't know what to do functionally with diabetes, just find, please, like it's in this podcast or find someone else mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of this goes away when you're not chasing blood sugars around constantly, it's a huge, right. it's that, that, that one aspect of type one diabetes is a huge trigger for the rest of this. It, it's that, that feeling that everything's never comfortable or settled or that you know what you're doing. And when you can get rid of those feelings, I, I mean, I, this thing just gets, I, I would never say diabetes gets easy, but I think you get so good at it at some point, it can feel easy. And, and that's where, a lot of this goes away, I think, but or maybe uh, easier. <laughs> easier. Easier, uh, right. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, yeah, I think the what you were just describing, you know, your, your thoughts are who you are. I mean, that's I I believe that as well, and that's mm-hmm. why our our thoughts are so important because it does impact how we feel and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think yes, having having the skill set can reverse kind of that the triangle of okay I have the I have the tools I have the skill set I do feel better and now I have the thought I do have some hope um and that is a great first step right. to changing your thinking about and, how you how you deal with it and to communicate just keep communicating because I mean that story that I just told I mean I feel like I just told it to Erica but you know now I realize a few more people are going to hear it than just her uh, but um <laughs> but I'm not bothered by that 
because I've gone over this in my life more than once. And mm-hmm. and just communicating it and going over it, it just sort of it turns it more into perspective I can draw on and less of some story about why I should be sad. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I am mm-hmm. I am not a sad person. I'm an, an eternally hopeful person. I'm telling you, if you and I were, I don't know, trapped on a desert island together, you'd be annoyed because every morning I'd wake up and I'd be like, this is it. This is the day we're getting out of here. Like, and, and, I, and then I would set upon trying to make that happen. And if it didn't happen, I'd think, well, I'll, I'll try again tomorrow. Try again tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel lucky yeah. that that's how my brain works. I'll be honest. Yes. With you. you know. All right. Oh, well, we're, we're, and thank you. I'm glad that we, that you have that hope and you get to, you share that hope with us. And thank you again for sharing such a vulnerable memory. Oh, you make me feel so gushy inside when you're nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh well i'm glad i feel like we're at the end of our appointment and you're like okay i do yeah, i yeah, do yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> um uh, you know what let's uh let's before we say goodbye let's tell everybody here that you and i are going to put a defining together for um for mental health in uh, over the uh the rest of 2022 and start getting it out to them as soon as possible yes yeah. i'm excited about it and why do you have extra time now erica tell them well, now I'm I am full full time private practice, and so I'm very excited to to share the the future episodes with you all with Scott, and I'm more available Excellent. to meet with you all starting, in California. Starting yeah. in June, right? You're starting yes. in June. You're going to go full yes. time. Oh, yes. Well, I've said it when you're not being recorded a million times. Uh, but you're one of my favorite people to talk to, and um, I'm very grateful for the way you and I go back and forth. I think it's. Um, I think it's it's hard to find people that I that I vibe with so well, and um, and so I, I love that you're coming on. I love that you're going to have more time. Uh, what's your website? EricaForsythe.com. All right, cool. And you have to be a California resident to to see you, right? Yes, yes, okay. uh, in person or telehealth. Right, mm-hmm. big state. Got to yes. be a couple of you over there. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. First, let me thank Erica for coming back on the show and let you all know how excited I am to do a defining series with her about mental health and wellness. I'd also like to thank Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise, and remind you to go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Do you need a meter? Of course you do. Do you have a good one? You might not, but if you had the Contour Next One blood glucose meter, you would. Contour Next com forward slash juice box. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. Let you know there's going to be another episode of the Juice Box Podcast coming up very soon. And remind you to check out the private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes, or find the show on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, wherever. Juicebox Podcast. Go follow on the Instagram machine, please. Thank you. I'm obviously a seasoned social media user, and you're not going to be wasting your time at all following me. You might be, but just follow me anyway, please. You know, in case I got something important to tell you, this is how I would tell you. You you understand how social media works. I don't need to explain this. Uh, what else? 
Thanks so much uh, for the recent reviews and ratings. They were terrific. Whoever left them, good on you. Appreciate it. Glad you're loving the show. And it's uh, pretty much it. Podcast is cruising along. It is doing really well. That is because of you guys. I don't say thank you enough for that, but I absolutely should be saying it every five seconds. The podcast downloads are, they're just, they're, it's crazy how many there are. And I, I can't even take credit for the spread of the word. You guys do all that yourself. Word of mouth is how the show grows. And so I really appreciate it when you take time to tell someone else about it. All right. Again, I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Humbled that you guys listen. Thanks so much.